and uh, we're looking forward. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for Claire. Thank you for all that she brings to um, to this topic. Thank you for um, all that she's learned over the years, Lord. And we just ask that you'll be, be uh, working in and through her and giving her the words to say and giving us the ears to hear. In your name, amen. Thanks, Joe. Hi, everyone. Lovely to be with you. I do miss you and I am not here. I know I hardly ever come, but honestly, I love seeing you guys. Um, so we're talking about this topic of shame and Dave, thanks for sharing that story. That's a very poignant story, isn't it? About the, the, uh, this, um, ex-pupil who has come to that realization. And I suppose just hearing it, it strikes me that Christian faith has pretty much got the only message about shame that is positive in a world that is absolutely sort of messed up in a way that I, I think a lot of us feel, you know, oh, there's a mess, isn't there? Lots of mess in personal relationships, in people's identity, and all sorts of things in society. And there's this, for many people, a pervading sense of shame. But that story, that is a good news story about shame. And many people perceive the church to have the opposite story about shame, the pointing finger, but it's not true. So let's think about this subject of shame. Why go there and talk about such a negative and hard subject? Why do we want to talk about something like shame? Surely it's um, maybe you feel like, well, I'm kind of okay with that stuff. It's for certain sorts of people or people are in a bit of a mess in a certain way and maybe that's not me. But I just want you to think of a spectrum of feelings and emotions that range from me in a, a Dave's uh, living room the other day having my one-to-one -one monthly session with him and him saying to me that I was, I was a bit defensive. I mean, how dare he? How dare he say that I was defensive? Gosh, me. <laughs> um, and the feeling underneath of schooling my features to look like a good Christian leader and receiving it with humility and grace. And underneath, I wonder if you can identify with me that feeling of, hang on a minute, <laughs> um, defensive, yes, but you need to know the circumstance of this thing, and is it, um, and that feeling of slightly prickly, slightly exposed, the sort of vulnerability underneath the layers that makes you feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. Can you identify that feeling? And that's kind of a normal everyday life, if we're honest, isn't it? It's really common. All the way through this spectrum, which I'm sure you're aware of, of, of feelings of just wanting to hide and disappear and all sorts of things. And I was thinking about the very familiar story of the woman caught in adultery. It's the, it's the story of shame being exposed. If you're not familiar with the story, it's... Um, Jesus has a crowd of people around him, all wanting to hear what he's got to say. And a group of priests bring a woman to him and throw her at his feet and say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And our law says we should stone her. What do you think we should do? And the gospel writer John says, actually, um, they were trying to trap Jesus in a theological question. But Jesus famously sort of stoops down and 
writes in the dust and draws the attention down to his finger, I guess, <laughs> writing in the dust. And in this interaction, he says to the woman, well, he says to people, he who is without sin casts the first stone and everyone gradually slips away because they all know that we're all in this and there isn't anyone who escapes the problem of sin and shame. And the priests of all people should have known that. We're all in this. This is a human condition and we're all vulnerable and none of us want to be exposed, do we? Nobody wants to be the woman in the dust having her sins on display. One minute, she's behind closed doors. Who knows? There's a guy in there, presumably. He doesn't get to be part of the judgment here, but, um, and he should be because the law also said that he should be stoned. And there's all that injustice that is often mixed up with the problem of shame. Things that are done to us. Who knows whether it was something done to her or something she willingly consented to. All we know is exposure has her in the dust and the accusing eyes of everybody around her. Our deepest fear. That is what shame is about. Everything from the prickly defensiveness that we live with all the way through to this kind of extreme end of being exposed in the most humiliating way. Famously, Brené Brown has been researching fame for 15 years and she describes shame as this, an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. What she's really saying there is underneath the defensiveness and the prickliness, there's this sort of core fear, worry, vulnerability, that because of this stuff, if it was ever to be discovered, we are unworthy of love and belonging. Now, we don't think like that. Most of you probably don't walk around thinking, I think I might be unworthy of love and belonging. Because to be honest, it's buried beneath quite a few layers. And so we're just going to read what the Bible seems to indicate is the origin of shame and it's a very familiar passages for us in Genesis chapter 3 we're going to read them now and then just a few thoughts about Genesis chapter 3 so here we go if we can come in <laughs> yeah I've missed a few slides out start with that one there <laughs> I love my images. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Such a powerful insight into the human condition. And whatever else you think of these kind of stories from the book of Genesis, Tom Wright says that when the Jewish people heard these stories, what they hear is their story. They don't really necessarily go down into the details of how did it happen and how did creation happen. It's what they're really hearing is this is my story. This is my condition. And it's an incredible insight. So three things that we see in that little passage. One is the voices. There's this voice in the garden via this serpent who seems to embody God's enemy and his voice is questioning what God has said implying that he's a liar and he's got an underhand motive which is to control and to keep us from something that we want that Eve wants and he is saying you're not going to die if you have this thing it's going to enlighten you it's going to open your eyes you're going to have the thing that you would love to have power And he tempts her and she falls and the rest of the story just rolls on until we get to the end of Revelation. (laughs) This moment of this voice and really what this story is saying is that there are voices that are saying to us in our lives, you are alone and you need to take matters into your own control, into your own hands. You need to find a way of getting power because you're powerless and the, voice, the voices that contribute and make us ashamed are those voices that say, here is the way in to power and control. Here is the way to cover yourself. Here is the way to get something desirable that is good to eat. But this voice, it has to undermine trust and relationship and connection to God in order to get us away. So what are the voices that are in your life have contributed to your sense of who you are? Parents, maybe. You know, parents often who really love us might be the very most undermining, unwittingly, by their own fears, their own battles with shame, their own criticism, their own um, need to control, their own struggles with things, and they can unwittingly or on purpose, impose stuff on us. There are voices. There are voices around us of things like peers and bullies when we were children, bullies communicating, you are someone who is weak and vulnerable. I see it, and I'm going to have you because of it. And then our own voice can be the same. We can almost become like an internal bully. Ever noticed that? The sound of your own voice as you speak to yourself. You know, we can become that voice that is saying... Actually, you're alone, you're weak, you're vulnerable, and there's no one out there for you because you're not really worthy of love. So those voices, that's really what the serpent in this story represents. The second thing is their reaction. Hiding in the bushes. One minute in bliss, the next in the bushes. It's the story of the human race. And in our hiding, we end up, we end up hiding not just from, we hide from each other, we hide from God, we disconnect. Hiding is all about finding ways to cover ourselves because we are vulnerable. 
and all of us are in that place. And the problem, of course, with hiding is that it distorts us. And I wonder if, you know, too much to say today, but maybe you could take away a bit of a thought for reflection. How do I, what do I hide behind? What is it for me? Shyness, withdrawal, cleverness, intellect, angry outbursts, literally hiding in my life. What are the things that you disappear from life because actually you feel vulnerable and you need to be you, you need to find some healing and then the third thing is the final voice in this little passage is the voice of God and what does he say what does he say where are you some people think that is the most desolate moment in the old testament you know it's kind of echoes Jesus on the cross doesn't it where are you, God? Am I abandoned? And underneath, in our shame, at the heart of shame, is this deep fear that we have been forgotten and that we are on our own. And yet there's this voice, and I'm not sure if it's a desolate moment or if it is the most hopeful moment in the Old Testament where God is on the search for the shamed ones hiding in the bushes. Where are you? I'm not leaving you in there. I'm not going to. I'm coming to look for you. You're hidden. You think you can hide from me, but I'm after you. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That is the heart of God to the shamed people who want to hide through all our layers of defensiveness and prickliness and daft ways that we defend ourselves even from God's sight of us he is a seeking God who meets us in the place of our deepest deepest shame and I think I'll just go flip to the last slide Ben because this is kind of my summary of what I felt to say today and just to pray and that just, just really to ask you to go on a bit of a journey. Over the next three weeks, we're looking at this subject for three weeks. So we're going to uncover what, it, what we do to hide our little defense mechanisms that end up distorting us. But, and then the final week, how do we contend for a place of freedom to be the people who got the good news that Dave was talking about that guy sensed something good news in Christian faith I can go and say I am ashamed because you have got the answer you know about forgiveness God is the God that meets us in the middle of our shame for us the story of our struggle with shame is also the story of how God meets us at our worst hour your worst hour your worst behaviors, your most unappealing, the things you do in the dark and the secret, the things you think, things you think about other people. He meets us at our worst hour with unconditional acceptance, redeeming love and the power to heal. It's a story with a happy ending. Just read that verse about Jesus. Sorry, Ben, I'm all over the place with this PowerPoint. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him, the voices. And he straightened up and he said, the sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. 
bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. He's distracting every eye down to where, what he is doing rather than on her and her shame. And hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, woman, where are they? Where are they? The condemning voices, where are you? Does no one condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. That comes first. Then, go now and leave your life of sin. He meets us in shame, without condemnation, and then he will walk us out into freedom. So I pray for us, God, today. I pray that you will teach us to be people who carry the message of hope to a world that is ashamed and discovering again and again that shame is a trap that we cannot easily find a way out of. So help us, help each person here. May you now receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, reveal to you your ways where you're trapped so that God can walk you out into freedom yourself and then may you be a freedom carrier, a message to the world. I'm not ashamed, I have been found and I'm full of joy and peace. I am connected, I have an identity. So come Holy Spirit, work amongst us we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.